chapter 8, 28, that says, God, it should be up there, God works all things for good to those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And so today we're looking at God's providence in our dying. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at dying. Uh, because to really, to, to live well, you've got to die well. And so the question I want to ask and answer today is this. What are we, all of us, going to leave the next generation? What does a mature believer, what does a believer leave the next generation? There's a lot we can leave the next generation, but only a few things are necessary. When we talk about leaving, at least when the world talks about leaving things for the next generation, it talks about uh, money, businesses, homes, real estate. That's what people think of. But those are not necessarily what matters. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what do godly men and women leave their children. And so from the text today, I just want to tell you up front what, what we're going to see. We must leave them a big view of God. We must leave them an accurate view of how he works in the world. And we must leave them that he, a belief that he is active and alive today and will be even after we die. That the world... We've got to communicate this to the next generation. We haven't done a good job of this. That the, the world and God does not depend on me or you. He is a big God and he will do his work. So turn with me to Genesis 48. We'll touch a little bit on into 47. We'll look at 49. But turn to Genesis 48. The big picture, if you're taking notes, the promise of God to the Father. First seven verses. And then the blessing of God from the Father. And just to set the context uh, of all the things in Jacob's life. So we've kind of moved away from Joseph for a few weeks, but we'll get him in a couple of weeks when he ends the book on Easter. Of all the things in Jacob's life, the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 21, he chose this particular chapter, this particular passage to show us in the New Testament, to give commentary on it. It's in the Hall of Faith. It says this, by faith, Jacob. When dying, when dying, death is not a subject that we want to talk about. Um, You can add that to your taboo list of subjects at the summer barbecue. But death is a fact. Um, And to live well, you must know how to die well. When dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And so Jacob shows us how to die well. Jacob will show us three things. He knows that his time is coming soon. Now, he doesn't know the exact timing, but he knows it's coming. He knows wh- who he believes and what he believes. And he knows where he's going. And so he's literally preaching Jesus on his deathbed to his next generation. So look at, before we get in 48, I want to set the context. Look at 47, 29. And it says, and when the time drew near that Israel must die, and if you flip over and you look at the end of 49, it says in 49.33, When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This is all one scene. We're going to break it up over a couple weeks. Uh, but you'll notice that, that this whole section talks about the end of a believer's life. Last week we covered his burial. And burial is a good thing. Burial is something we should consider. Today we're going to talk about his blessings. Let me pray and then we'll dive right into 48. Father, uh, heavy subjects that you give us in this last few chapters of Genesis. Subjects, nonetheless, you want us to know about. You want us to apply to our own life. 
And so, Lord, when we talk about death, might we do it in such a way that brings honor to you, confidence to ourselves, so that we may take the message of the gospel to the world. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at these 22 verses in chapter 48, might we prepare for the end today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 48.1 After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. And so he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so we have a sick father. This is that call. If you have never gotten this call, someday you might get this call. Unfortunately, I got this call uh, when I was um, 20. I forget even how old I was. Let's see. I was 23. Um, hey, you need to come home. That's that call. It's not, hey, come home. We won the regional championship. Come celebrate with me. Amen. This is, hey, uh, um, Judd, this is your mother. You need to come home. And so you, his Jacob is bringing, Joseph is bringing his two sons to Jacob because he's heard his father's ill. And he takes with him his kids. Just a quick application, a little application along the way. Go and visit older folks with your kids. Why? We'll look at verse 2. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Go and visit older folks with your kids because it gives them strength. It gives them strength. I remember going to see my grandmother. Uh, she got to a point where she... Um, could not function on her own. But when we would bring uh, our family there and bring those kids there, those eyes got big, that smile gets large. There's something about taking the younger generation to the older generation. It gives them strength. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a company of peoples and give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting, catch that, everlasting possession. Jacob, when, when Joseph brings his sons to him, Jacob gets right to the point. He doesn't have time for small talk. He's not buying any more green bananas, right? He's there and he's going to pass on to the next generation Big view of God. Look what he says here. Number one, he says God Almighty. God is the ultimate superhero. He says God Almighty, the one who made the heavens and the earth. That's the idea. He is the, the, the Lord of hosts, some translations say. God Almighty is the superhero. And that God Almighty, not only is He Almighty, but He seeks His people. When He said a God appeared to me, Jacob was not running for God, Jacob was running for his life. Jacob was running uh, away from his brother Esau and God pursued him. God showed up. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all my life. God shows up. And does, not only does he appear in Genesis 28, but he blesses him. And look what he says. I will make you fruitful and multiply. There is the creation of the cultural mandate. Genesis 1, 28. I will make you fruitful and multiply. I'll multiply you and I'll give you this land. He's there taking Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So here's the creation mandate. Here's the, here's the Abrahamic covenant. And he's saying, 
Jacob, these are going to happen through you. And look what he says. I'll give you a company of peoples. Literally, if you want to go in and translate that, it's I will give you a congregation of nations. I'll give you the church. And you see those two things. This go out, subdue the earth, uh, cultivate it, make it better. The creation mandate and the Abrahamic covenant, the whole world will be blessed through one family. Those come together in the New Testament church. That one person ultimately is Jesus Christ and we're to go out and make this world a better place. And if, if God isn't the ultimate superhero, if that's not enough, if the idea that God seeks you, God's coming after you, God is pursuing you, if that's not enough, and if it's not enough that he's going to bless his people and make a worldwide church out of a family, here's the fourth thing. God says his plans are forever company of peoples. I'll give you this land. There's a lot of talk of land here. We'll get more on that in a minute. An everlasting possession. Bold comments. Not, you know, it'll be years until you die and then it'll probably, you know, be up for uh, the estate planners. He says forever. That is a big view of God. That's what you pass on to your children. Children, God is almighty. He, why, why do I say the ultimate superhero? That's where we're at. I have... I have two Spider-Men that run around the house. And, and one yesterday goes to the, the game. It's the big S for Saints, but also for Superman. But I tell him, there's only one Superman. And you can play the role, but there's only one hero. Big view of God. And now, your two sons, verse 5, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Jacob adopts. That's what this ceremony is all about. Jacob comes and he adopts Ephraim and Manasseh into the family. You see this in uh, Mordecai does it in the book of Esther. He takes Esther in. Her parents are gone. You see it at the end of the book of Ruth. Naomi actually becomes the mother of Obed. And here Jacob says, these two sons of yours who were born in Egypt, I'm adopting them in. As for me, in verse 7, when I came to Badan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Notice in my translation, that is Bethlehem is in parentheses, put back in there by an editor to let us know that in Bethlehem, as Rachel died giving birth to the people of God, someday in Bethlehem, Mary would give birth to the son who would die for the people of God. And that brings us to our first principle, which is up here. A mature faith looks confidently upon the forever future, having learned from the painful past. What do we need to leave our next generation? We need to look back upon our past as painful as it might be, as disappointing as it might be. They need to hear about it. The good and the bad. I often say this, Psalm 51. Yeah, but my life is a wreck and God will use that to teach the next generation. So what should we leave the next generation? Number one, here's the application up on the overhead. Leave them with a big view of God, that he is mighty, that he pursues his people, that he blesses his people and his blessings and his promises are not temporary. They're for forever. Amen. 
you're here today, raise your hand high. Be proud. If you're here and you're a grandparent, raise your hand. Yes, raise your hands high. You are grandparents. Share your life with God, of God with us. Amen? We need to see that. Share it. Uh, remember the past of God in your life benefits our lives. Uh, to those of you who are not yet grandparents, get your kids around the older generation. When we were in Denton, we had Denton grandparents. We're, we are now in Colorado. We have Colorado grandparents. There's some Fridays they say, we'll take your kids. And we say, take them, Denton grandparents. Spoil them for the whole day. Give them like all those donuts at one time. Breakfast, lunch, just do with it what you will. And have fun with those kids and pour into those kids so that they see it's not just mommy and daddy, but there's another generation in a big family we're a part of. And tell your kids and your grandkids, love what Jacob did here. Talks about his spouse. Oh, how we can bless the next generation by talking about our spouse. And how he was hurt because she died and you didn't get to end life with her. Unfortunately, in that movie, it took Bob Jones a little bit to open his heart when he was going through this pain. You saw it a little bit in the trailer. She said, that's your kid. Love us. So talk great things about your spouse to those around you. And if you can't say great things about your spouse, we need to talk. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who's, who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me. And he said, Bring them to me that I may bless them. So he couldn't see well. And now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And Joseph brought them near to him. And I love this. He kissed them and he embraced them. Hug and kiss your kids. And it doesn't matter how old they are. For some reason, uh, Europe has us on this. They, they're, they're, and, and, and Mexico has us on this. You get to America and it's kind of because we've overstimulated uh, our society with sex. It's kind of awkward when you get into people's personal space. But you go to other countries, it's just Hugs and kisses, not sexually temptation, not sexual temptation. Kisses, it's just big hugs, big kisses. You go to Romania, sorry, you're getting a big wet one right on, on both cheeks. Okay, that's just the way it is. And they hug and they kiss because they show love. And we get here and we get all fidgety with it. I'm going to hug my boys and kiss my boys, like even when they're grown ups. I'm going to embarrass them with it. I'm going to be that guy. Amen. They're learning it from you, so I just got to keep up with you. But they're going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. He, he's loving and Yeah, they love him. And it's a, not a sexual thing, but they will know their daddy loves them. Amen? And Israel said to Joseph, love this verse in 11. I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. If we're going to give them a big view of God, number one, He is the ultimate superhero. He seeks us. He blesses us. And His promises are forever. And number five, God blows us away with His grace. God blows us away with His grace. That's why when we sing Amazing Grace, it should never be Amazing Grace. We should almost be yelling it. It is absolutely mind-blowing. That's what I never expected this. Paul said it like this. He does more than we even ask or expect. 
Then Joseph removed them from his knees. That was that, the ceremony of adoption. And Joseph himself bowed himself with his face to the earth. Oh, we need to get this in America. Respect for the elderly, the older folk, those who have gone before us. We tend to live in this youth-oriented culture. Their time is done. Their days are spent. No, no, no. We need to bow before them. And Joseph took both Ephraim in his right hand and Israel in his le- and Israel's le- towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And so Joseph's bringing his boys up here and he's trying to set these boys up for Jacob to give the blessing to the older one. And so he brings them right up. And he brought them near to him and Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger in his left hand, and laid it on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph, blessing the kids. He blesses the father and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, Notice the sixth thing about a great big view of God is that he works in the past. That you can look back in your own life, in the life of your parents, you can look back and you can see God at work. That God who worked in the past, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, that God is at work in the present. And he calls him here a shepherd. You get those images in Psalm 23, John 10. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do we, do we ever meditate on that? The Lord is my shepherd. Very personal. Yahweh, the personal God who created the world, is my shepherd. The immediate result of that is, and I need a lot of stuff. That's not what it says. I shall not want. He, he leads me by still waters. I love this. To those of you and like myself who can be stiff-necked, He makes me. Doesn't invite me. Doesn't uh, send a telegram to me. Hey, Judd, why don't you come, you know, lie down in green... He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, sometimes when I get sick and I'm laying there, I'm like, Lord's making me. Just enjoy Him. He'll often use that in my life. I'm not saying that's your life. That's what he does. He's a good shepherd. He leads, provides, and he protects. Then he says something that's kind of enigmatic here in verse 16. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. That's the God who worked in the past. The God who's been the shepherd all my life long to this day. That's the God that works in the present. He's described as a shepherd and he's described as an angel. One who carries a message. Here, I think Jacob is referring back to the two times in his life where he encounters God in the form of the angel of the Lord. So the next generation needs to know a big view of God when we show them that he leads us, provides for us and protects us His people. Amen. And we need to let them know two things, how this great God, like he did with Jacob at Jacob's ladder, he changed our hearts. They need to know our testimony. They need to know our our salvation story. Luke and Lauren and Lawson, when it's age appropriate, need to know that their daddy uh, wasn't always the angel they see before him, right? They need to know. Yeah, your daddy went down his own road to take it through Luke 15. This is what your daddy did. He squandered his daddy's wealth on loose living. They need to know that. 
And so Jacob's saying, here, God, this angel came and he came into my life in Genesis 28. Remember, he's running from Esau. So he's got fear behind him. He's got the unknown in front of him. It's darkness above him and he's laying on a rock. There's hardness below him. And God shows up and says, Jacob, I am the God. I will do this. And Jacob's response, if that's who my God is, he's got all my life and 10%. And the next time God shows up, Genesis 32, it's another dark night. It's the nighttime grappler. It's wrestling season, WWF, divine style, right? Not only does God, your kids need to know that God saves you and changes your heart. They need to know God breaks you. God will bring things into your life that will break you. He will humble you. And so my kids need to know that God did this and God did that. The next generation to have a big view of God knows that God delivers us from hell and He breaks us. He breaks us of our stubbornness. That's what He's passing on to His kids. God is the ultimate superhero. God is the one who seeks His people. God is the one who blesses His people and it's not just temporary. It's forever. And God is the one, in number five, that is his, may, his grace is amazing. It should blow us away. And that God is the God who worked in the past. God is the God who's working in the present. And we know from there he will work in the future. The end of 16, and in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. There's that idea of this congregation of nations. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his mother's, he took his father's hand to move it. So he's grabbing his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. Joseph is much like his granddaddy Abraham, didn't want to break with social custom. His father refused and said, and this is huge. I know my son because Jacob had been through the same thing. Jacob was promised. He was the younger and he was going to be uh, put over the older. He understood this and he saw all the pain that brought that he brought trying to manipulate to get that, trying to do it in his own power. He saw all the pain that it brought with Esau and all those years with uh, Rachel and Leah and all that happened, he said, I know. I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, talking about uh, Manasseh, and he shall also be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Jacob was losing his sight, but he wasn't losing his insight. And this is not something that Jacob took lightly, knowing what happened into his past. But here's the principle. Mature faith realizes that God's ways are not man's ways. God's ways are not man's ways. And we have a hard time with that in America. We, we have this equality. Uh, you, you put in the sweat equity. You just not, it's not the way God works. Joseph needed to know that God does not work according to human intent or social custom. He chooses whom he chooses. He works by election, not succession. So as, as much as we pour into our children, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that they will be saved. They don't get to ride the coattails of their mother or father. 
and say, well, I was born into a Christian family. That's just not how it works. And we've got to come and wrestle with the idea that God is not fair. Okay? Not fair. He's not. At least in our eyes, it may not look like. He's got a perfect plan. He's laying it out. I'm not even saying he's laid it. It has been laid out. It's just the way it is. Why do some of you still hire your fathers? And I don't. I could go off whining about it. It's not, that's just the way the Lord works. I wish I had a daddy. But that's just not how the Lord works. And so he blessed them, verse 20, that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. The Lord using the patriarch to show that God will choose whom he wants to choose. It's all throughout the book of Genesis. We could start in the beginning. Did God have to choose to make the world? No, he chose to. Did God have to choose Abraham? No, He chose him. And Deuteronomy 7 tells us why. I chose you because I loved you. Abraham. And then you have Isaac and Ishmael. I'm going to take Isaac. Jacob and Esau. I'm going to take Jacob. And on and on and on. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you. And He will bring you again to the land of your fathers. This brings me to the third principle. And this is a big one. If I were into my visual aids, I would have had a bucket of water up here. But mature faith realizes that God's works will continue after we're gone. Jacob realized that he was dying, but God's still at work. Uh, When I was in seminary, Howard Hendricks said, if you want to know just how impactful you are to the ministry, take a bucket of water, Put your hand in there, pull it back out, and that hole that's left in the water is, is, is the impact that you, you, oh, DTS grad, will have on the world. And his point was, you put your hand in there, and yes, you make some ripples, absolutely. You pull your hand out, and it just keeps moving on because it's not about you not about me. Mature faith realizes God's work will continue after we're gone. So, the third thing we must do is we must leave them with the belief that God is living and active today and is not dependent on anyone, not on us. If I should go, if the Lord should take me home tonight, again, she would probably weep for years Yay, even decades. I don't know. But somebody would step up here next week. Amen? And you know what they would do? If they were bold. Genesis 49. Jim would step up and go, Our brother, he's with Jesus. Kind of wish I was there myself. But turn to Genesis 49. We shall carry on. Amen? Amen? That's what we... Oh, but take a week. I mean, I don't know. Take a week. They mourned over Aaron when he died. So the point is, 
God doesn't need us. Acts 17. God doesn't need us. God is proud and it brings in pleasure for us to be instruments in His hands. But the necessity of me or of you for the ministry, for the work of the Gospel, is not anything that God is dependent on. Oh, man. really wish Judd wasn't sick today. I don't see God saying that. In fact, Alan Ross in his commentary says this. Love this. Believers who have matured in faith through a lifetime of experiences in which the covenant God has shepherded them and delivered them, no matter how difficult the maturing process may have been, can discern with confidence the purpose and plan for God for the future. And then he ends with another interesting verse. Verse 22. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So it's kind of, as a side note, leaving a big view of God, an accurate view with how He works in the world, and the belief that He will continue to work even when we die, doesn't mean you can't leave material possessions. Amen? You've got, if you have a timeshare in Mexico, pass that on to your kids. Let me use it now. Pass it on to your kids in the future. Right? But He's talking to you. It's okay. Make as much money as humanly possible. Uh, Proverbs 13.22, I think, is where it is. But it says, um, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, as humanly possible. It's a principle. It doesn't mean it's com- in Proverbs. It doesn't mean it's a command. But I, if I'm a vision caster and if I'm thinking through Luke, Lauren, Luke, and Lawson, I'm not just thinking about them. I'm thinking about their kids. That's a big picture of God and how He works in the world. But if you notice that it begins with this idea of land. This I'll give you this land, verse 4. And in 22, this talk of land. There's this eternal promise of real estate. And that blessing can seem so distant to us, especially when you look at the market where we live and how expensive it is just to live. But if you trace that idea of the land through the Bible, you'll see that Joshua conquered the land. It was dangerous. It was conditional. It was temporary. They get into the land and then they're kicked out of the land. I didn't put these verses on here, but they're good to listen to. But if you remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about land. It's not just land for the people of Israel. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, land. And that's why I, I firmly believe uh, that he's talking about this earth, that it will be renewed, not just a completely new one. He, he didn't say new. He said the earth, as if he's talking about this earth. And in John 14, 2, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's, he's literally sitting at the right hand of God. He makes intercession for us every day. He's upholding the whole world by the strength of his might, Hebrews 1. And he's like, He's under contract. He's making plans. Yeah, someday I don't, you know, Father's, when he says, let's go, I'm coming back, I'm going to stand as the kingdom, and this is where I'm going to prepare a place. That's fascinating to me. And so we, knowing that the promised land is greater than any timeshare in Mexico, we must align ourselves with that king. And I use some of those phrases from uh, the trailer there. It begins with your repentance. 
Unfortunately, watching that movie, if you were to go watch it, um, he seeks Western medical help. He seeks Eastern medical help. None of those help him. And he dies on the roller coaster of life with the, you know, the light shining in his eyes. It's very Hollywood. It's not just about him opening his heart and discovering himself and letting the anger go. It's about opening our hearts to Jesus. That's the sad thing about those sad movies. Is that the sad part is there's no mention of Jesus. And so it didn't just open your heart, Bob. Let the anger out and let the doves fly. It's open your heart to Jesus. It's bow the knee and says, yeah, I, I was angry. I did expect things when I was a kid. And my dad did work too much and this, this, and this. But I confess those things to you. And it grows in grace. I love what it says there. Every moment counts. Every moment. Every moment. This moment Take communion here in a few minutes. That moment, we'll go home and you'll eat lunch. You'll have a chance to bless your kids. To bless. That moment counts. Tonight, some of you may have your community groups. That moment counts. And when those are over and you're walking home, that, that walk home from one house to another, a couple hundred yards, that moment counts. Dinner counts. Tomorrow when you wake up, breakfast counts. When you go to work and you clock in or you do what you do, that counts. If you work out, hopefully you do, not like consumed with it, that counts. Every rep counts. Everything counts. We don't live in a random world. Things just didn't randomly happen and all of a sudden we're evolving into something new. It's perfectly designed. Our days have been numbered. When there was not yet one of them. Psalm 139, Psalm 90. You mean July 9th, 1973, he knew about before you were born? Mm-hmm. Before he even created the world. So that's July 9th, 1973. That would mean that's July 22nd right there. Wherever the world is. Over there. Before the foundation of the world, he knew. Forty years later almost. Woo! He knows. And should it be, well, I'm not quite 40. I'm still in my 30s. Should it not be there? He knows. And should it be another, by God's grace and for His glory, could I be a Caleb at 80? Give me more. Like Howard Hendricks at 80, going home to be dying, teaching kids. Could that be? Every moment counts. And here's the beautiful thing. It all ends in eternity. We die in faith. One day, should it be, Mike's already gone to glory. Jim's in glory. Ben comes to me. I'm curled up. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to die in faith. Have I ever seen Jesus? seen him on the pages of scripture, but I'm going to die in faith. Ben's going to be speaking to me in a British accent. It's just going to make it a lot easier. <laughs> Ashley's holding my hand. I'm going to die in faith. And I'm going to open my eyes in sight. 
And it's not going to be some Hollywood pseudo, I'm going down a roller coaster towards the light. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then I'll live forever. Whatever period of time, we'll come back. He'll reign on. I'll live forever in this, as he said in Genesis, this everlasting possession. I'll give you this land for an everlasting possession. Not, not, a, not just till the world, an everlasting possession. And so, I end with this. It's, it's kind of humorous, but it's true. Um, the dying process has already started. It started the day you were born. So you don't need to wait. That's why I think he gives us Genesis 48. You don't need to wait until your deathbed. Start today. And I'm going to do something I've never done, but I heard it done in another sermon, and so I'm just going to use it. Um, When we do communion today, should you be with your spouse, you're going to start there. I want you gentlemen to put your hand on your spouse's head, around her arm, whatever you're most comfortable with. Don't be embarrassed, but I want you to pray a prayer of blessing on her. If your kids are with you, pray a prayer of blessing on them. Just like Jacob's done here. And I want you to bless and not be embarrassed. Have courage, not be embarrassed about anybody else. It's not about whoever else is in here, but I want you to start with that person closest to you and work out. I want you to pray a blessing upon them. We'll take communion and then we'll sing a song. Father, what a beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for making this sermon not as heavy as it could have been. But I thank you that it communicates the point of your message in Genesis 48 that every moment counts. You want us to maximize our time on earth. Paul said, make the most of your days, calling it wise. And so I pray for all those little pumpkins down in Children's Church. I pray for the handful or so that are in that nursery that we would bless them. That we would give them a big view of who you are. That you are the greatest and most powerful being ever. That you pursue us, you bless us, and you do it for eternity. That you amaze us, blow us away with your grace. That you have worked in the past and you're working today. And should you take us home any time, that your work will continue. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those men who are helping with communion would come forward and gentlemen, gather around your spouse, your kids. You are here today and you have family. Bless them. Pray a prayer blessing over them.